who wrote Colossians. Yes, ma'am. Why did I put that up? It's the Apostle Paul, all right? Was Paul always a Christian? Did he always love Jesus? Did he grow up in children's church and just fall in love with Jesus? No, no, he was a grown man, a, a Jesus-hating Jew who turned to Christ. And man, did he turn the world upside down. Where, again, I asked this last week, where is Colossae located? Don't say on the other side of Tipperary. Where's Colossae located, Brother Paul? In modern-day Turkey, we would say, all right? I don't know why they call it Turkey, but that's it's a Turkey, amen? But down over on this side is a town, a city called Colossae. And um, what has been the theme of this book? Oh, I forgot to take that off. <laughs> the preeminence of Christ. About just... Now, what does preeminence mean? Somebody tell me, what does preeminence mean? Yes, sir. All right, explain what that means. Oh, actually, that's our normal way we think that he's the most important. But preeminent, eminent means high. Preeminent means he replaces, he is all there is. Preeminent means he's like, uh, he's like when he walks in the room, Everybody pulls away. There's nobody that can stand with him and say, oh, and I'm important too. He is all of our attention. He is all that we need. He's the preeminent one. That's the meaning of the word. Uh, what's, so Paul, what's Paul so worried about concerning the Christians up in Colossae? Remember, I gave you a couple of illustrations. What was he worried that, that was going to happen to these Christians? Again, he had not taught them. He had not discipled them. He couldn't go and, and never meet them. So he says, he writes this book. Colossians, to do what? Yes, Andrew. <clears throat> yes, warn them of false teachers and doctrines. Why? Why? Why warn them about false teachers and false doctrines? Okay, because there were hustlers out there who were going to rob them of what they had in Christ. So I, I gave, I wrote it down a couple of different illustrations. He was worried that they would get tricked, lied, deceived, and, uh, and taken advantage of. Are Christians today being taken advantage of? All the time. The first, it is just such a grief that, that uh, tele, television evangelists and, and even religious hustlers called priests and re big religions take advantage of poor people. You may not know some of the background and some of the history, but <clears throat> in this day and age, there's some great things that have really put a stop to a lot of abuse in a lot of even third world countries. How many of you have seen the, 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 the statue of Jesus down there in Buenos Aires? Is it Buenos Aires? Oh, Rio de Janeiro. Okay, anyway, Rio de Janeiro. And he's standing over there. Well, there are small statues like that all over South America. And there was one that was making a whole lot of money. Because when people, when the poor people would come, we're talking 50 years ago, but when poor people would come and they brought their, their gifts to the Catholic Church and they would give them there, they would look up at that statue, and then as they walk away, they did feel like, all right, I've done Mary or Jesus my duty. Well, there was a very innovative priest who connected a faucet to the eyes. And when they would bring their offering, maybe it was just a bit of food, or it was a bit of money, a few pesos, and they look up and they see tears rolling off those cheeks. And the father there next to him going, that was not enough to please him. And they would, it would break their heart. And those, that's called hustling. That's taking advantage of poor people and making them think that they've got to do better. 
Um, he was afraid that they were being robbed of what they have in Christ. And what you have in Christ, nobody should take from you. And they were settling for legalistic bondage instead of the freedom that we have in Christ. That, oh, well, I've got to keep the Sabbath, and I've got to, I've got to pray towards the, the east, and I've got to um, keep all the, dot all my I's and cross all my T's in order to be accepted by Christ. He was worried that strong, vibrant, unstoppable Christians would be transformed into generation after generation of, defended, of dependent followers of men and of rituals and of rules. And he was really concerned about that. So when you come to Colossae, there's a lot going on in the background here. So by way of review, I told you last week that the world, our flesh, the devil, and religion constantly are at work trying to bring the believer back under bondage. Paul warns every believer to beware of philosophy and false science. We read that. Of vain deceit, that's modern advertising. Of the traditions of men and of the rudiments of the base things of the world. Uh, some Christians get tired of trying to live right. And they look across the fence and they see people living ungodly and having fun. And they... They dump it and they run. Paul says, beware of being caught up with the rudiments. Hear the word root in there? The things that are, that are at, at the ground level. Uh, I'm pressing on the upward way. New heights I'm gaining every day. I don't want to live down in the muck. So anything that is not part of seeking after Jesus Christ is not to be sought after, whether it's science or philosophy or advertising, whatever they tell you you need. You know, uh, more people buy cornflakes at 11 o'clock at night because they saw an ad for it on TV at 8. Oh, man, I'm starving. i got to go to the store. i got to go to Tesco and buy one of those oats and more that you like. What's that cereal, you know? Uh, two questions I've tried to answer. One is just how complete is Jesus Christ? How much, how complete is the package that he is? And how complete are we in Christ? Because the answers to these two questions are going to determine whether the devil will be able to enslave you again back under religious bondage or not. Now, last week, I talked about how complete our Savior is. Give you an example. Uh, um, go to Psalm 18. I said you're in Colossians. But go to Psalm 18. Love this psalm. It's been a while since I've memorized an entire psalm, but this would be one of them. I think I'm getting too old, Brother Dean. I kind of like, like it bounces off the bounces off the, the brain. It doesn't go in. Psalm 18, verse 2 says this: The Lord is my talk to me. Rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength, in whom I will trust. And he goes on, my buckler and the horn of my salvation and my high tower. So when we talk about how perfect our Savior is, we're talking about like being in a strong and high tower. Anybody who tries to attack that tower has to overcome unbelievable obstacles to try to, to, to defeat me. Why? Because I'm so strong? Because I'm so smart? Because I'm so, I've got so much money or I've got so many friends? You know why a Christian is safe? Because of our tower. Amen? God is our high tower, our fortress. How about this? I mean, you find yourself in the storm, you'd want to be in a sturdy ship, amen? I mean, I've seen some, some YouTubes and some videos of some of these ships going into 100-foot waves coming at them. 
I mean, let me off at the port. I'm no, I have no sea legs. But if I ever am caught in a storm, I hope my ship keeps the water out. Amen? Guess what? My Lord is strong. That's who my Savior is. He is all I need. He is a strong and mighty tower. Now, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, is all we need. Now go to Colossians. Go, go to Colossians chapter 2, verse 9. So verse 9, as we, we said, For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. So what does he lack? Nothing. Does he have all of the Father in him? Yes or no? Yes. Does he have all of the Holy Spirit in him? The Bible says the Spirit is given without measure to him. <clears throat> is, he, is he a lesser God than God? No, because he's not different. He is God. So in him is all the fullness of the Godhead, of the Creator and sustainer of this universe. Verse 10. So the I, the thing that really affects me is not just how power, how, uh, how great he is, but how complete he's made me. Look at verse 10. And ye are complete where? In him, which is the head of all principality and all power. You lack nothing now that you're in him. There is no need for anything other than what Jesus already is for you. There's nothing more for any of us to do to attain our, our completeness. You and I just need to grow, mature, but you don't have to be more than you are. Amen? You don't have to have gender identity crises. <laughs> I, I lost you. You just went, what did he say? <laughs> you don't have to worry about career and about uh, whether you're going to get married or not. All of those things, folks, the world's throwing us into a tizzy. I'm complete. Now, I like if I was not married, guess what? I'd be wanting to get married, amen? But I'm complete. <clears throat> Galatians 5.1, how many can quote? Who can quote it? I bet, I know Tony can, but can anybody else quote Galatians 5.1? Come on, encourage me, folks. Somebody. All right, Tony. Oh, wait, wait, I got Nathan back here. Yes. Good. Be not entangled again with the yoke of bodness. So here's the 64,000 euro question. How did God make us so free in Christ? How did he do it without religion, without morality, without theology, and without all our good works? How did he make me so that I am complete? That's what I want to talk about tonight. First of all, he did it. If you look there, verse 10 says, in year completed, complete. In him. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3. I'm going to ask Dean if he will read Hebrews 1 3. We'll work through everybody. So hold on to your hat. We got a lot of scripture to do. I probably want to get just very little done tonight, but I'll do my best. So, Dean, if you can find Hebrews 1 and verse 3. I want you to see a key phrase in here. You ought to underline it, mark it, and remember it. Hebrews 1 3. Go ahead, please read it. All right, what's, what's the key part of that scripture right now that applies to what we're talking about? When he 
had, next two words, by himself. He did it all by himself. His mother didn't help him. Okay? He did it by himself. So if you are anything worth anything to God, it's because Jesus made you worth it to God. Jesus saved. Do you know he doesn't need our help? He doesn't need your help, doesn't need your goodnesses, doesn't need your efforts, doesn't need your successes. And by the way, he's not put off by your failures. Hallelujah. You ever let anybody down and they go, I'm fed up with you? He doesn't do that. He's not put off by your weaknesses or all the debts you bring to God. He just simply did everything that was necessary as our great high priest, sacrificing himself in the place of sinful people who come to him by faith. He did it all. Quit thinking that you had anything to do with saving your souls other than just believing like a child. Amen. You say, well, I'm always doubting my salvation. Let me tell you this. The reason why you're doubting is because you're still trusting yourself. You're wondering, did I pray right? Did I use the right words? Uh, um, did I close my eyes? <laughs> did I feel anything? Um, um, did I use the right Bible? Um, uh, trust Jesus Christ because He, by Himself, purged our sins. Amen. Doesn't need your help. Hallelujah. Amen. Hey, Lord, let me help you. No, He'll slap you down. <laughs> sit down, sit down. You imagine I had my appendix out when I was 18 years old. And uh, can you imagine me now? I, I tell you, I was, I was not a happy camper, as I told you, this young doctor and everything. But I tell you what, can you imagine me sitting there? Now, he put me out. I know why they put you out, because you would probably argue and fight with your surgeon. But as I was sitting there, can you imagine me sitting up going, here, let me help you. Would you really trust yourself to help a doctor operate on you? And no, don't think that you can help God save you. And definitely settle that you have nothing to do with staying saved other than rejoicing in it. If you couldn't save yourself, definitely don't believe that you have to have the ability to keep yourself saved. They both belong to the man on the cross. All I do is shout and sing and praise God. <clears throat> Secondly, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. The Holy Spirit did something when He put you in salvation Himself. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And Andrew, if you would read that, 2 Corinthians 12, 13. <clears throat> ah, hold on. 1 Corinthians. <laughs> All right, if you would read verse 12 and 13, please. Hold, sorry. What's the body being referred to in verse 12 before he talks about Jesus? Mm -mm. It's the human body. Okay, so he says, just like your body's got lots of different members, fingers, toes, only one nose, two ears, lots of hair, so also is Christ. Keep going, verse 13. All right. 
Here's the truth, okay? When we look, and you're complete in Him. Now, I want you to go and go back to Colossians. I want you to see where this comes from and how I draw, uh, run you to this, that connection. Colossians chapter 2. When we move now to the next verse, verse 11. We'll just read the whole verse in verse 11 and 12. In whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God, who hath raised him from the dead. And you, being dead in your sins, notice those words, in your sins, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you how many trespasses? All right, now, I don't know how I'm going to deal with all this thing, but I do want to show you this. What the Holy Spirit did was put you into salvation himself. He didn't ask you to save yourself. He didn't ask you to be good. He didn't ask you to keep the law. He didn't ask you to get baptized. And what he said, get into Christ. Get into Christ. Because there's a concept about me no longer being in sin anymore, but in Christ. Now, hopefully this will blow you away. Let's look at in Christ, this concept of being in Christ. John 14, 20. Um, uh, Jennifer. John 14, verse 20. <clears throat> All right, now that's strange words, unless they're true. He's in me, I'm in him, he's in the Father. Kind of a lot of overlap in there, a lot of protection there. It's like the old style mafia. You watch out for me, I watch out for you. But it goes a whole lot deeper. Let's go to Romans chapter 8 and verse 1, Rodell. Romans 8, 1. All right, so, Rodell, there's thou therefore no condemnation to them which are in church. Is that what it says? To them which are in baptism. You get in Christ. He seems to be salvation. Let's go to Galatians 3.28, Susan. Galatians 3.28. Right, you're all one where? In Christ Jesus. All right, so when you have a church and you got people from Ireland, you got people from California, you got people from Nigeria? Yeah, I guess, all right, okay. You got people from, uh, let's see, let's get some, some weirdos, you know, Northern Ireland. Amen. <laughs> got people from South Africa. Amen. Got people from Texas. Don't you go silent on me. <laughs> You put all that together, there's neither Texan nor Northern Ireland. There's no Irish, there's no uh, South African. We're all one in Christ, aren't we? Amen. And we're, when a, in a church, you get all these nationalities, you put us all together, and we get along because our nationality doesn't matter anymore, does it? We're an example of what we are in Christ. Amen? So, uh, Ephesians 1.4. Is it Heidi, or am I looking? Yes, all right, I'm getting good. <laughs> Ephesians 1, 4. 
I want you to see two words that are overlooked by the Calvinist and overlooked by most people. Watch them. Chapter 1, verse 4. Verse 4, please. All right. Now, here's how Calvinist reads it. Are you ready? According as he hath chosen us before the foundation of the world. Anybody see what I missed? What did I skip? In him. All right. So, here I am. <clears throat> There's a door coming in here. Now, forget that one. That's an emergency door. But let's say that's all walled up. There's only one door coming into this room. And anybody that comes in this room, I'll count as a friend. I'll choose them. I will elect them as my friend. You come through that door, you try to come through the window, and what will I imagine you are? A thief. You come through the door, I'll receive you as a friend. And if, you're, if you come through that door, you're chosen. And if I'm ever going to get elected and get chosen by God, I must be where? In Christ. He chose me. When, when God looked down and he saw me in Christ, he said, I'll take him. <laughs> Amen? Is that good? I hope you wake up to the fact that God didn't go, you know what, I'll take him and take her and I won't take him and I won't take her. He didn't do that at all. What God did is says, all who get into Christ, I accept. Amen. In Christ is where you need to be. How do I get in Christ? You believe. You just believe, man. Look at Colossians. We read uh, already some of it. Colossians 1, 19 and 20. Ruth, to the right. Colossians 1, 19 and 20. Hold. So where should all fullness dwell? You know, there's a great verse in, uh, it's a 1611 verse. It's called Psalms 1611. It says this, Thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand, talking to God, is pleasure forevermore. Where? In the presence of God with Jesus. Oh, and because in him is everything I will ever need. He is my supplier. He's my strength. He's my stability. He's my sanity. So here he says, in him is all the fullness that I will ever need. And that's the reality. Read also verse 20. All right, and he goes on. Uh, and you which were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked wor works, yet now hath he reconciled, brought back to himself in the body of his flesh through death, to now present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. So, we are in Christ. Let's look at 1 Peter 5.14, um, Miss Sherry. 1 Peter 5.14. Look at how they talked about Christians to all of you who are in Christ. Amen. That's how Christians, you're in Christ, you're in Christ, you're in Christ. I may not be in, in, in much, but I'm in Him. Now, we used to be in sin. Ephesians 2, 1 to 3, Brother Darren. 
Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1, 2, and 3, please. I like the next verse. I like what the first two words of verse 4. Hallelujah. In spite of all of my sin, God overcame it. So in that verse, verse 2, verse 1, sorry, it says we were dead in sins, in trespasses and sins. You know what most Catholics are worried about, if they're any good at all? They're worried about dying in a state of sin. So they worry. They want to make sure some priest comes and gives them last rites, get rid of all sin so that they can go in a state of grace before God. You don't have to worry about that. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 11 uh, Juliet, 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 11. I like that. You, you, I, I know what I used to be, and it ought to be that I'm not like I used to be, amen? But look at how he says, you're not just forgiven, but you're washed, sanctified, you're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus by the Spirit of our God. Romans chapter 7, verse 18, Josiah. Romans 7, 18. This is going somewhere, you'll see in just a moment. Romans 7, 18. All right, in my flesh is sin. In me is nothing but rebellion, man. But I'm not in me anymore. I'm in Christ. And that's what secures my salvation. We are in Him. The Holy Spirit took me out of sin and put me where? In Christ. Now, we kind of think, well, I can't wait to go to heaven. Well, I know, but it may be a long time before you go. So it's second best. I may not be in heaven yet, but I'm in Christ. And being in Christ secures my trip. Amen? Now, it is Jesus who makes us so secure and complete. Look at Romans 7, 24 and 25, you mean. Romans 7, 24 and 25. And look at how Paul talks about himself. Even though he's been saved at this point, he's probably saved at least 10 to 15 years when he writes Romans. He could have been saved as many as 20 years. And look at how he still talks about himself. Oh, he needs a counselor. Look at verse 24. <laughs> it's a good question, isn't it? Amen. Amen. Uh, so how does he view himself? Is he, is he a good guy? He says, a wretched man that I am. The only good thing about me is I'm no longer in sin. Look at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I'll go to Brother Tony. 1 Corinthians 15, 55 to 57. <clears throat> Who gets hurt by sin? Or grace 
Hold, sorry for interrupting, but what's, what's the danger for me? Are you and I sinners, Tony? Do we still sin? All right. Well, the sting of my death is going to be my sin coming home to roost, coming home to, 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 uh, to cause me to pay up. And the strength of sin is God's what? Wow, I'm doomed. Next verse. Amen. So now you understand how Paul is able to write so excitedly and so confidently about, I know I'm a sinner. I, in me dwells no good thing. I struggle. I, I wrestle. I'm defeated. There was one time he's in, he's, in, uh, he's in ropes. He's been bound. He's been beaten. And he's standing before a crowd of, of, um, of Pharisees and Sadducees. And the high priest is standing there. And the high priest says to one of his servants, go over there and hit him right on the mouth. And the servant went over there and went, wham! No, Paul, as spiritually he was, he says, God's going to smite you. <laughs> I mean, I would have done worse. But Peter, uh, Paul let loose some flesh. The point is this. As messed up as he was, he said, Jesus Christ has given me the victory. Not because I no longer sin, but because something happened so that my sin doesn't condemn me anymore. And that's where we go to the second phase. He spiritually circumcised you without hands. Colossians chapter 2, verse 11. Back to Colossians. <clears throat> in whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, and putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Verse 12 says, Buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the what the next three words? Operation of God. Doctor, are you going to operate? There's your word. It's a spiritual surgery. By the faith of the operation of God who hath raised him from the dead. And you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh doesn't matter anymore because he hath quickened you together with him, having forgiven you how much trespasses. Oh, so let's go through this thing. We are tripart beings. What does 1 Thessalonians 5.23 say? I pray your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless until the coming of our Lord. So I'm a tripart being. I've got three parts. <clears throat> the most important part of you is what? Your looks, right? Your wallet, right? What's the most important part of you? Talk to me. Raise your hand. Somebody tell me. I don't You're not raising your hand. What are we doing here? John. Okay. So the most important part of you, say, prove that, Pastor. <clears throat> Matthew uh, 16, 26 says, For what is man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his spirit? Does it say that? What shall I, uh, uh, what shall, if he shall gain the whole world and lose his body? He loses his soul. Matthew 10, 28 says, Fear not them which kill the body. Now I will. <laughs> I'm not so spiritual that I won't worry about somebody hurting me. But here's what he says. He says, fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul. But rather fear him, which is able to both destroy both body and soul in hell. Go to exit, uh, Ezekiel, forgive me, Ezekiel 18.4. I'm going to get Brother Kevin. Ezekiel. You have Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel 18 and verse 4. And I'll show you something about your soul. 18.4. <clears throat> <clears throat> Ezekiel 
Wow. Now, what sends a man to hell? Just because you pick up a cigarette, or because you pick up a bottle and you drink it, just because you pick up a gun and you use it? No, it's the soul sinning that sends a man to hell. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. But I'm going to blow you away here for a moment. The part of you that is sinning is your flesh. Now, it's under the direction of the soul, but my, let's go and let's look it back to Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7. And let's see, Yvonne, Romans 7 and verse 18. <clears throat> so I have the will to do right, but I don't know how to do it. But in my flesh dwells nothing good. So, when a person, let's go to look at uh, uh, next verse. Who's my next person? I'll go to, Yo, uh, sorry, to Hannes, chapter 7 still. Look at verse 24 and, the begin, and, and do 25 again. I want you to see something, how Paul talks about his flesh. Romans 7, 24 and 25. Romans 7, 24 and 25. What does he call his flesh? A body of? Yeah. That's not some way to talk about your flesh usually. But Paul's looking real good and real strong, long and hard at himself, and he says, I live in a body of death. It's ultimately going to kill me one day. Let's go to the next verse, verse 25. Wow. So my flesh is going to follow the law of sin, and the law of sin results in death. My body, my body is going to do sometimes its own things, and I have to take responsibility for it. It's like having a kid who's just a rebel, and that kid just acting up. I'm talking about some of you when you were kids, and you just get in trouble. Your mom's got you in the trolley and taking you down the, the aisle there at Tesco, and I bet some of you reached over and started grabbing the cereal and just dumping it all over the floor and stuff. That's, that's your flesh. You're minding your own business, you're at church, and your mind starts wandering and going places it shouldn't go. It's like an unruly child. And you have to take that flesh and go, sit down, <laughs> don't do that. All right. So, what the Holy Spirit does in the life of the believer, number one, he separates your soul from your flesh. Now, I don't know if you realize it, but your soul was stuck to your body all your life. Look at Romans chapter 7, verse 5, and Amanda, Romans 7, 5. So when we were in the flesh, remember, when before I was saved, what am I now? I'm in Christ, all right? Now you're still in the flesh, 
But I want to show you, you're not stuck to your flesh. You have actually been liberated from every time your flesh, your eyes, every time your mind thinks and does wrong, it no longer condemns your soul because your soul has been circumcised. It has been separated. It has been made free from those laws of sin and death. That's the reality that Christians need to be established in so that when you sin, the devil will come up there and says, there, you blew it. You're going to hell. There's no way you're going to heaven. You have to say, just my body sinned. My soul is still sanctified, washed, justified. Uh, let's see if there's another verse. Uh, Romans chapter 7, verse 1. Let me read this. Know ye not, brethren, I speak to them, still in chapter 7, I speak to them that know the law, how that the law hath dominion over a man as long as he liveth. For the woman which hath a husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he liveth. So by marriage, you're married, you're stuck with a guy. But if the husband be dead, that's not with poisoning, by the way. But the husband dies, she's now loosed from the law of her husband. So then if, while her husband liveth, she goes off and is married to another man, she shall be called a what? An adulteress. But if her husband be dead, she is free from that law, so that she is no adulteress anymore, though she be married to another man. Here's the point. Uh, uh, before you got saved, guess who you were married to? Yourself. You are stuck to this body that loved to sin. It's like being married to a man who's a selfish, egotistical, worthless, lazy jerk. See, you're talking about my husband? <laughs> it's like being married to a man. Think about it. And you wish you could be free from him. You're not, not till he dead. he's dead. Well, before you're saved, you're stuck to, a, to your flesh that is proud, arrogant, egotistical, self-righteous, self-serving, how many more shall I go? Thinks of only itself? I'm married to that. And what did God do? He broke the tie so that, as far as God's concerned, Craig Ledbetter died 37 years ago. And I no longer am married to myself. I'm married to who? Jesus Christ. I'm in Christ now. I'm in a new relationship. Can I talk that way? Doesn't that sound weird? <laughs> Amen. So, he separates your soul from your flesh. So, until you're converted, you're in the flesh. Look at Romans chapter 8, verse 8. I'm going to hurry here. Uh, I'll go ahead and have, um, let's see if Emmett is able for this. No, he cuts, cuts over there. Romans chapter 8. I just got to say everybody. Romans 8, 8, 9 says this. So, then they that are where? Next three words, what are they? In the flesh. They can never please who? They cannot. But ye are not in the flesh. But you're where? You're in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of, God, of Christ, he is not his. You're not none of his. You're not saved. So until you are saved, you are in the flesh. After you got saved, you're in the Spirit. So what the Holy Spirit does, it separates your flesh from your soul. It actually cut the real you, your soul, loose. It was a surgery done without hands. Uh, Hebrews 4.12, I'm going to go now to... Um, I'm burning out. <laughs> he knows what I'm looking at. Um, Romans chapter, or Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. Go ahead. Nathan. For the word of God, quick, powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, 
So what is like a two-edged sword? And it's even sharper than a two-edged sword. We'd actually call it a surgeon's scalpel because it's so precise, it can, it can cut so deep that it separates bone and marrow and soul and spirit. It can divide all things and lay them all out there on the table. You know, if you read your Bible like you're supposed to, that thing will leave you cut up, bleeding, and hurting. But it's a two-edged sword. So as you keep reading, it starts putting things together and starts healing and starts making things right. Amen. So the Holy Spirit uses the Bible to cut you with surgery done without hands. And back there in Colossians chapter 2, and I'm trying to race. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 11. In whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. In putting off the body of the sins of the what? Amen by the circumcision of Christ. Like a death, allowing your soul to marry your resurrected spirit and be joined to it now and forever. Uh, I read about, they have lasers. Did you know they have lasers that can actually, I've never seen them, but they have lasers that don't cut your flesh, but they cut under the flesh. That's cool, because that's a lot like the Bible where that Bible cuts deep down where nobody can see the cut. Um, i give you a, another example. There's a great example of an ice cube in an ice tray. I know you guys don't take ice, but it's a great illustration because I grew up with ice. We ate ice when we were kids. You're crunching it, not for the, for the nutritional value, but because it was just what we did. But anyway, an ice tray. You take that ice tray and you flip it over out of the freezer, and what happens? The ice, is, the ice cubes are stuck to the ice tray, correct? But what you do is you put that, you run it underwater for a moment. And then you flip it over. Give it a few seconds. You hear it going. And then you flip it over. And what happens to all the ice cubes? They all fall out. Now, simple illustration. The ice cube is in the ice tray, but it's not locked to it. And your soul is in your flesh, but it no longer is stuck to it. And what the Holy Spirit of God did without hands, without a priest, without a pastor, without anybody else, but by faith in what Jesus Christ did, it separated that part of you that gets you in trouble and, and makes you free. You're still in the body, but you're not stuck to it. So, so whatever your flesh does may cause you to die early. Whatever your flesh, whatever your mind, whatever your body does may bring the wrath of God and the judgment of God on your life, but it cannot judge your soul. Why? because the soul has been married to another. The soul is now uh, joined to the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> Christ made us truly free. John 8, 32 says, You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you. And if the Son, therefore, shall make you free, you shall be. How can he say that if it's not true, if it's not so true that I now am so free, but I still sin? Yes, and your, your, your flesh will serve the law of sin and ultimately death. But I've got the victory. Your flesh and its actions can no longer affect your holiness in your soul. Um, <clears throat> your spirit can become defiled. You can get a bad spirit, can't you? You can watch stuff. You can hang around with people. I've been in some places. Now, I'm not, I'm not a superstitious guy. But I've been in some places where I know the devil's here. You ever been in a place like that? 
And if you just sat there and you didn't pay attention to it, you pick it up. You can bring it home if you're not careful. And a lot of kids playing uh, some of these games, they pick up bad spirits. You can get a bad spirit. You can, you can use your body. Paul talks about use the members of your body for righteousness now. I can use my body for good or I can use it for evil. But my soul is what? Saved. My soul is secure. I have been forgiven how many trespasses? All. You know what's funny? All of my future sins are past. Now to God. Because I'm no longer married to this old man. Usually we talk about other people. How's the old man? You know? Well, talk about me now. This old man, as far as God's concerned, doesn't even exist. The new man, that's the one that matters. All right, I'm going to stop there. There's more to do, but I did my best to get as far as I could, okay? Any questions? Terrifying moment here. <laughs> Father, we bow before you. And I wonder, <clears throat> I wonder if we would just take a moment and say, Lord, I never understood just how complete I am in Christ. I never understood all that you went through to secure my soul's salvation. I wish my flesh was saved. I wish it wouldn't get me in so much trouble. I wish my spirit wasn't so easily tricked and filled with wrong feelings and wrong thoughts. But all that comes against me. And you know what? I'm still saved. I'm still saved because you by yourself saved. And so I, Lord, I just, there's no excuse. This is no reason for me to now think I can get away with sin because I can't. The wages of sin is still death. It's still going to kill my flesh. It's still going to bring me to an early grave. It could affect my spirit for the rest of my life, for the rest of my life, where I'm just depressed. But you know, the moment I trusted Jesus Christ, my soul was separated from anything and everything that could damn it, could condemn it, could soil it, could defile it. Nothing can defile me now in my soul. And Lord, that's a gift. And Why wouldn't I want to glorify God in my body and in my spirit? I choose to do that. Because you give me a second chance. You gave me an opportunity now to, to bring this unruly body of mine to the cross every day and mortify it and just bring it in line. Stay crucified. You gave me an opportunity to fill my spirit with the Holy Spirit. Lord, if I just keep working at that, all three areas of my life will be right. The devil knows how to unplug it all and make it all mess up, but it doesn't matter to me anymore. I have the victory. And I just want to thank you, Lord. I just want to ask you to help us to rejoice and to shout and thank you for, for making it possible for a soul to be saved, even though my flesh is not. In Jesus' name, amen.